Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I must apologize for the poor sound quality on the introduction here today. I'm just returning back to Australia from a crazy 10 days in the United States. I'm currently in Seattle at an airport hotel just recording this on my uh, iPhone headphones here, so just bear with me. It's been a crazy last few weeks and uh, I do apologize for the long delay between the episodes. The past month or so has been really career-defining for me. I I applied for and was lucky enough to get into a very comparative oral maxillofacial internship um, or resident year. Uh, This one-year program is at the Royal Dental Hospital in Melbourne and is essentially a gateway for getting into the OMFS training program. So accepting this position meant that I had to kind of resign from my other jobs in private practice. And as any of you who have done that uh, can attest to, it can be pretty stressful. So anyways, uh, I'm beyond excited for this uh, year of surgical training and uh, we'll see where life kind of leads from there. I'm not sure if, you know, where or how I'll, I'll get into an actual training program or whether or not I'll pursue it. But I think this one year of surgical training is going to be really a good foundation for me to kind of make that decision based out of. I've been in the, in the U.S. for the past week. Um, I was in Seattle to attend the COIS uh, Center for Treatment Planning and Occlusion which was amazing and kind of life-changing, to be honest. I don't want to overhype it, but it is uh, that good. And then I'd headed down to Scottsdale, Arizona for the DIA conference, which was just a ton of fun. I got to meet a lot of the people I kind of look up to, a lot of the young dentists. You know, SF Dental Nerd, Bloody Tooth Guy, Dr. David Atia was there, Dr. Paresh Shah, Sunny DMD, Phil Walton, so many guests and so many dentists that I've had on the show uh, was able to meet in person there, which was uh, a great experience. Uh, I won't get into that too much more. I will be doing a recap episode of DIA with Dr. David Atia, who was actually there with me, who attended there as well. And uh, so we'll get into into more detail with that uh, in that episode. In this week's episode, I had the awesome pleasure of chatting with Dr. Misag Habibi. Misag is a dentist in Western Australia with an extensive focus on implant dentistry. Misag has completed postgraduate training in IV sedation and pain control, a Master's of Science in Oral Implantology, and is currently pursuing his PhD at the University of Western Australia. He is also the director of the Implant Institute, which we discussed in length during this interview. The Implant Institute is running a program starting in January 2020, so you got to sign up soon, guys, if you're interested, which is the first of its kind in Australia, a postgraduate certificate program in implant dentistry with an additional opportunity to extend that training for another year to continue on to obtain your postgrad diploma through Cambridge Academy of Dental Implantology. If you're interested, uh, you got to act quick because these things are selling out very quickly and the deadline is approaching. So you can find all the details in the show notes below. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Henry Shine. With over 60,000 products available from consumables, CAD CAM technology, lab, and large equipment, you can always rely on them to be your trusted business partner every step of the way. As always, if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please help me out and head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. It really does help with the algorithms and uh, helps the show get more, more exposure so you can reach out to more people and help more people that way as well. Also, I just wanted to thank everyone who has pre-ordered their copy of our Foresight Dental Journal. This joint initiative with Dr. David Kier has been met with so much positivity and we're really excited to get these journals into the hands of as many dental students and dentists out there. Head over to Foresight Dental, that's the number 4, S-I-G-H-T, Dental, on Instagram or foresightdental.com for more information. Without further delay, I hope you guys enjoy this amazing interview with Dr. Misag Habibi. Hello and 
Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omer Zami. So I'm here with Dr. Misak Habibi, who is a very accomplished uh, you know, surgical implant dentist in uh, Perth, Australia. He runs the Complete Implant and Sedation Dentistry, and I actually had the pleasure of meeting you a few weeks ago at Dr. Alex Fibyshenko's implant residency, which was pretty cool to see. And obviously, for me, a lot of the stuff was over my head, you know, looking at zygomas and stuff when I haven't even placed my first implant. But seeing how engaged you guys were and how much you know, there is to learn really was, was pretty cool and eye-opening for me. So I'm excited to kind of, you know, dive into some dental, dental implant education with sure. you today. But uh, normally how we start these things off is a bit of an origin story. So I know we're, we're both Persians. So we have kind of similar backgrounds with immigrants and everything. But if you can just kind of take me back, tell me about your, like your, your childhood a little bit and then why you kind of got into that dentistry as a career choice. And then we'll take All right. Yeah. So how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> we got time. <laughs> yeah, look, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, like yourself, uh, Persian background, and uh, I was born in Iran, and um, my family actually fled Iran as refugees when I was six years old. And uh, obviously, you know, for my parents, that would have been a very daunting and un- uh, uncertain experience, uncertain times. And uh, I guess, you know, as with the story of many migrant families, especially refugees, you know, it's a, it's a lot of sacrifice that they're putting in, a lot yeah. of uncertainty and uh, fear and anxiety in terms of potentially providing uh, opportunities for their kids. So, of course, uh, I didn't have a great deal of understanding of what was happening. And, you know, your parents try to protect you from some of the dangers that might be around you. But, yeah, we got out of there uh, with probably a couple of pots and a couple of blankets (laughs) (laughs) and uh, uh, were uh, refugees in in Pakistan. And uh, eventually we were processed through Austria. Wow, um, and then settled in the United States, and and that's hence my global, international, and confusing accent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we've had chats. Uh, we've had a couple of chats about the basketball, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's where my big uh, fandom of uh, of the For Dallas the Mavericks. Mavericks come from. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I think uh, you know the Mavericks have a pretty cool place for me as well. Yeah, 2011 was like a pretty interesting year. It was a year I I graduated from like undergrad. So I was staying and we're studying for like my med school and dental school exams and stuff. And that was the summer that, you know, they beat Miami and just like, it was like a really good summer. That's the summer I actually met my wife as well. So that, that run that they had, it was like so a good time unex- for you. Unexpected, but it was just like a great summer. I remember we used to get to it with my friends and we just hang out and like after studying and just watch the games and everything. So, um, so it's always, I've always had a soft spot for the, for the, for the Mavs and, and seeing them now, like we talked about with like Luca and all that. Uh, and you just beat the Raptors recently as well. So yeah, I watched uh, that. Too. But it's, it's nice to watch, man. So that's pretty cool that you ended up in. So how long were you in Dallas for before you, like, you know, obviously moving to Australia and stuff. Eventually. Yeah. So, um, I, we lived there for about four years and, um, uh, by the time I was 11 years old, actually on my 11th birthday, we arrived in Australia. And uh, this was as normal, normal migrants now. Yeah. Uh, my parents <laughs> just decided um, that Australia was maybe a better family environment and things like that. And um, yeah, so on my 11th birthday, I arrived here. Uh, by now, I'd mastered several languages, all of which I've forgotten. <laughs> and uh, and then really, even though my accent may, may uh, sort of 
make you think otherwise. Really, I've grown up most of my life in Australia, and the most yeah. of my experience has been an Australian experience. Yeah. So what about uh, so when did the dentistry come into it? I know probably when you were going through as an undergrad model, so you would go straight from high school. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, dentistry? when I was going through um, in in Perth for the University of Western Australia, uh, entry was uh, through studying a year of science. So academic entry into science was not particularly, um, I guess, competitive or it was not at the highest level. Uh, but then you had to perform at a high level in the first year of science to apply for dentistry. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I, had a, I used to do a lot of different things. Um, you, you talk about, before we started, I think you, t- you said uh, my voice suited for <laughs> the radio and that sort of thing. I used yeah. to do a little bit of uh, acting and things like that back oh, in yeah? those days. Nice. So some of my yeah. a- academic friends, uh, you know, would think that I wasn't as dedicated to the studies as they yeah. were. And hence, as a result, I only got into dentistry on the second round. Yeah. And uh, I remember clearly walking into the classroom and some of my uh, good friends now that I remember already sitting down there a few days more experienced in dentistry than I was. Uh, but I guess my interest in dentistry really started, uh, I actually remember I was around year 11. Yeah. And um you know, when you're growing up, my daughter now is facing some of the same questions, like interested in lots of different things. Yeah. And um, I felt, you know, I want to help people. I want to do that in a very uh, pragmatic sort of day-to-day real level. And I want to work with my hands because Mm -hmm. I was always, uh, I guess, interested in artistic things. And Dentistry seemed a really good marriage of those things, especially uh, considering that you had this potential autonomy when you graduated to sort of make your own path and, uh, and maybe make different decisions in terms of where you want your career. Um, and I remember the day I mentioned to my year 11 physics teacher that I think I wanted to be a dentist. Yeah. And uh, his response was, you won't get into dentistry. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Scott, if he's, yeah. if he's a member <laughs> if of your podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll track him down for you. That's <laughs> cool. Though. I think it, sometimes you need that. You need the doubters to kind of motivate you to be like, I'll yeah. prove you wrong. I'll show you. Well, you know, I, I went to quite a non-academic school. Yeah. And I think when you had uh, academic ambition, especially if you tended to, you know, be a bit of a jokester, which I was at the time, yeah. uh, they, they didn't realize that maybe you had the capacity to, to apply yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Looking back now, so say if I knew you in dental school, if you were friends in dental school, would I've what would I've said about you? Would I've anticipated that you you know go such an academic route into teaching and so surgical focus, or were you maybe like at some points, okay, no, I want to be like more of a business person and have a couple of practices or into aesthetics, or more, yeah. even then, like if I was sitting with you in, in clinic or over lunch in like final year dental school, I would have been like you were talking only surgery to me. <laughs> Interestingly, um, I mean, I didn't have a clear path uh, planned out for myself at all at that point. Um, but uh, my strongest subjects, I mean, those are only rudimentary you know, skills you're developing at that time, but my yeah. strongest subjects were uh, oral surgery and fixed prosthodontics. Yeah. So maybe it was a bit of an omen uh, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that ended up becoming sort of the path that I followed. I think, what would you have said? Um, I think hopefully I was, uh, I was okay to hang around with, uh, tried not to take myself too seriously. Um, you know, sometimes those environments, I don't know what it's like with, with the younger generation now, but 
people could be quite competitive and and uh, even the environment of the dental school sometimes you know there's tensions and there's yeah. egos and you know unfortunately these things still happen in our community sometimes but um, I really tried to steer clear of those things you yeah. know uh, I tried not to be noticed too much by the staff <laughs> by the by the uh, academic staff yeah and to just uh, do the work I needed to do but I, I really did enjoy dentistry right from the outset and um, right from the outset I was really interested in doing these reconstructive cases and doing extractions and fixed pros um, and I think also even having a couple of the um, the tutors at the school um, helped me through a couple of those cases uh, that I managed to do a couple of cases of video cases and things like mm -hmm. that during yes. dental school. Yeah. Um, it did make me feel a bit more competent to take on those early cases when I had graduated. That's great. And what was it like when you graduated? What was like your first couple of years out of school? What kind of roles were you in as an associate? What kind of jobs were you doing? I actually, uh, by this time, I did know that I was quite interested in uh, honing my surgical skills and, or surgical aspect of dentistry. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided to move to a private practice in the, in the country. There's a okay. uh, little country town in the southwest of uh, WA in the wheat belt called Katanning. Yeah. <laughs> a center for sheep and, uh, and an abattoir yeah. and uh, a very large metal slide which I'm sure would not pass safety regulations these days, but that apparently was, that was, the that was the draw for the town. Or something. What's yeah. that? That was the, the main draw for the town. <laughs> that, that was it. That was it. You know, we had a, there was a uh, cafe called Phyllis's cafe. And I think there was a Chinese restaurant there as well. Yeah. But yeah, I, I went to uh, practice my first year in the country and, um, yeah, so it did give me an opportunity to get involved maybe with a little bit of trauma sometimes that presented at the hospital, um, you know, acute infections with sort of inflammatory edema and trismus and um, things like that that often here might present to a hospital yeah. um, that you'd have to manage or you'd, ha or you'd get called into the hospital to see if you could help out. Um, and I had a, a colleague that, you know, would do wisdom teeth cases and things and I got a bit of early mentorship from him. Uh, I remember my first wisdom tooth case went quite well, but by the time it was time to close the flap, I was so mentally and physically spent yeah. that my uh, needle holders, my hand was just shaking. And it's like, <laughs> I felt like I had done the job, yeah. stressful, and now I had to close it up and uh, I was sort of spent. So uh, yeah. that was my very first case. He came in and sutured it <laughs> for me. That's interesting. That's funny with suturing. I even now, because I find you know, if you're doing like an extraction, it's just such a different motor skill of unless you're doing like a clean sectional or something. But if you're like taking a forcep to a, like a molar and or premolar, like your hands like cramping up by the time you want to do the suture that fine motor, like it is right. that it is yeah. that weird sensation. It's such a bit of a challenger. Yeah, like you'll get to the stage where suturing is becomes so second nature. Yeah, uh, you sort of your hands just move and you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so when did the academic side of things come? Uh, at what point in your early career were you saying, okay, maybe I, I know enough now that I know that I don't know enough and I need to actually really dive into the stuff to, to call myself like an implant dentist or a sure. uh, general dentist with like a focus on surgical or oral surgery. Uh, when did that kind of come into play for you? To be honest with you, the more I've gone along, the more I feel uh, that how little I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> As with anything, really, I mean, you know, that concept of imposter syndrome and all of that, yeah. you go through these stages uh, in your career, 
Um, but, you know, the idea of learning more, progressing in skills uh, and applying more complex cases for, for patients and achieving better outcomes for them, uh, these things always motivated me very much right from the outset. And um, a couple of turns that my career took probably uh, was one, the fact that I really wanted to learn those things, but the mm -hmm. other was um, I had a bit of a back injury okay. and I decided at that stage that what if I can't really spend a lot of time uh, doing dentistry? Yeah. So I did the uh, diploma of sedation at Sydney University, uh, thinking that I may be sitting alongside dentists who are doing procedures yeah. <laughs> for the rest of my career with, with how my back was at the time. Uh, so that's sort of where the journey of doing some postgrad stuff started. Mm -hmm. As it happens, it became a great adjunct in my daily practice. Yeah. Um, and then later I went to different implant courses and because of the surgical sort of background that I had, um, by this stage I was doing mainly wisdom teeth for, for large practices, a couple of different yeah. large practices and groups. Um, what I learned in implant training, I had the opportunity to sort of start to actually apply. It wasn't yeah. so far out of my realm of That's right. thinking or capacity, step by step, of course. Um, and then later on, uh, after I was practicing implant dentistry pretty exclusively for some years, um, I thought it would be great to really get a bit more of a grounding in this profession. And that's when I did my master's uh, at Goethe University. Yeah. And yeah, and, uh, why I'm doing a PhD at the moment, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably a uh, <laughs> lack of sanity. <laughs> that's great. So... One of the things that I'm always really interested in, especially when I speak to someone who, you know, be it within business, they've opened multiple practices or be it they're like a master clinician of one thing, just like aesthetic dentistry or an academic route. I think for me, what I find is it's so easy just to, you know, you go to work and then you come home and, okay, I'll just watch some TV or I'll watch some basketball or just, it's hard to stay motivated to always be like, I want to keep progressing in my career. So when I, when I get the opportunity to speak to people like yourself who have actually like not done that and have actually like kept progressing and kept pushing and is, is what's the, what's the driving force? How do you like motivate yourself? How did you want to take that responsibility and not want to fall into a comfort zone? Cause I think a lot of mm. young dentists as mm. well, we do a few wisdom teeth and it's like super stressful or sometimes it doesn't go super well. And we're like, okay, maybe I'll just ease off that. And then they'll fall off and they just stop doing wisdom teeth or they'll stop doing molar endo. And they just like mm. that nice, comfortable, stress-free, and they're pretty much just doing simple fillings and stuff after a few years. So yeah. I'm interested in that other branch of people who say, no, I want to keep pushing myself, keep push, putting myself in like uncomfortable situations and learning and growing and see like what kind of drove you to keep going like that. Hmm. Um, I think it's probably a different balance for everybody in a way. I mean, there will be people uh, in any profession that, have different levels of drive to, to learn or to extend themselves. And you know, what I, what I love probably a bit of a tangent here, but what I love about modern dentistry is that it, there does seem to be a path for increasing your skills and your knowledge and ways that you can help patients in so many different ways now. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you notice that your skills are surgically oriented or maybe they're, uh, of a sort of, diagnostic nature or you know maybe you develop an interest in um you know um, sleep medicine or f 
facial development or aesthetics. And, you know, these days airways are a big thing. So it really, I feel like there's, there is a path for everybody. Um, but what was your original question? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much just what do you think? Or I mean, you've been around some other people who've done a lot of great things as well. Is what common trends are you seeing in people who would like to keep pushing themselves and don't want to like just stay average or just stay doing the same thing for their whole career and want to just yeah. keep adding procedures or adding more complex things? I think it's just a natural drive to to uh, to push yourself to excel to become better at things. Um, I mean, I always have a feeling that to achieve excellence, that that to be the best that you can be at something and the way that we can help our patients that in itself is a really motivating factor. Yeah. And, um, it's a sort of profession where you can't be asleep at the wheel for too long. You know, like that's the big one. You sort of lean back for a bit and you go, wow, there's, uh, there's new knowledge and new skills that I need to, uh, to upskill with or to learn or to read more about because things are always moving so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think of, uh, yeah, for me, the challenge is sort of the other side, to be honest, is to know when to stop, to be more moderate, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, but I think some people probably just have that, that drive to, to learn more. Um, but I see the profession as a whole sort of going more in that direction. Mm-hmm. You, you, you might see that more with a lot of yeah, your colleagues. I think, it, I think it might be a function of just competition, really. Um, mm-hmm. With more dentists around, one is obviously you want to be good at your job, but also if there's going to be five dentists in a, in a given, you know, five kilometer radius, the better dentist will eventually rise to the top and just patients will be like, well, he does better work. He knows more, yeah. he can offer more services. So I think You've that natu- have your point of difference. Yeah, that's, that's right. So I think that that natural competition is really helping raise the floor of dentistry a lot. Mm. Um, now on the other flip side with like a lot of corporates and stuff and like time pressures and, and things like that, fees going down. That's like the weird tough balancing act of can you do good dentistry but also maintain the quality yeah. of it and yeah uh, that's a challenge i mean i i always felt i didn't want to be involved in the sort of the corporate side or prefer provider programs and things like that yeah. that's not in no way a judgment of people who are i mean there are definitely great dentists in those spheres as well yeah um but Certainly, um, I feel it, it, maintaining your independence does give you a little bit more opportunity to invest in your career and spend the time uh, with patients that you need to to sort of give those types of services. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, we were talking about like implants and you're running the Implant Institute, which is, uh, I think it's like the first of its kind coming up with like an actual certificate degree coming up in Australia. So we'll start, <laughs> sorry. Uh, we'll start with that first, but so I mean, so run me about, run me through the curriculum, what the course entails and what value you think it can have for like a lot of young dentists coming up that haven't actually started placing the implants and, and pretty much want to start an implant pathway from scratch. Um, sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Look, um, to give a little bit of background, I guess, you know, there's a lot of different uh, training opportunities around and uh, myself, I used to run, um, and training institute called the dental implant education and training institute because i like really long names (laughs) and uh for a number of years uh we would do you know multiple modules throughout a year and i'd have a good group going through with me every year usually younger dentists sometimes older dentists as well and um it was sort of it, it became apparent to me that no matter how well you educate 
uh, or try to educate a group of people, um, unless there's some type of immersion mm-hmm. and dedication to learning the skills or extending yourself academically in that discipline, it, it's very limiting, you know? Yeah. And um, I know that people that did those courses, I'm sure they got things out of it and, you know, it's been nice to get good reviews from those courses. But at the end, I don't think they really extend people to the level that they're able to go. Uh, what's really exciting about um, this postgraduate certificate program uh, that we're offering is that, you know, over the, over the span of a year, uh, someone with no experience or little or moderate levels of experience um, can really, in their own time, uh, dedicate themselves to really delving into some of the fundamental theory and academics of implant dentistry, uh, being involved in academic discussions yeah. um, and requirements, then going into module two, getting maybe practical skills and tips and uh, whether treatment planning or with manual skills that they didn't have previously. And then finally, putting that into action in, um, in, in actual case, uh, carrying out cases with patients, but not doing this in an isolated fashion, but having mentors that work with them closely to make sure that they're expecting of themselves the sort of quality um, yeah. that they're capable of achieving. Um, I think the main difference of this program and maybe others is that you can go in and get an immersion in something and then go back. Yeah. And like uh, you don't really have a great sense of judging your own um, standards because you're sort of on your own. Um, Whereas here, you can go along a path, you know, with the mentorship and the supervision that those cases entail. So I think it's a great course for, I mean, we've got some experienced people enroll because they think it's a great opportunity to, you know, do a consolidated (laughs) program, get an actual academic award out of it, a postgraduate certificate, continue to a postgraduate diploma the following year. Um, But it's certainly very tailored for, for absolute beginners to be able to take that journey in a methodical, and practical and moderate way you know, not throwing yourself in too early or too deep and at the same time not being so uh, left at such a distance from the actual day-to-day of implant dentistry that <laughs> you never end up practicing it i think that's a great approach so how the years laid out is there's the initial like didactic pick online is that right so you just go through the base curriculum and then you come and <laughs> sorry, spend time with you actually in Perth. And is there like some hands-on components and things to actually uh, get some of those skills? And then once that's done, then there'll be a period where you can, on your own patients in your own practice with supervision from their local mentors and things, actually place them in place. Is that how that's, the that's year kind of runs? That's, that's it in a nutshell. You're better yeah. at saying it uh, <laughs> brief, you know, briefly and properly than I am. But that's exactly it. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's actually a program that's been running uh, – you know, or a variation of the program that's been running for about 10 years uh, by the Cambridge Academy of Dental Implantology yeah. in the UK. And uh, Dr. Stuart Ellis is the director of, of the Cambridge Academy. And basically, we're collaborating. Uh, I'm the Australian program director, and it's a collaboration of the Cambridge Academy with the Implant Institute here. So all of the online curriculum 
is very thoroughly developed and the requirements and assessments and things that need to, to be met um, are comprehensively developed in a manner that allows that program to receive the accreditation for a postgraduate certificate that it has uh, and, and then postgraduate diploma as well in the, in the UK. Yeah. Uh, what we're then able to do after the delivery of that online content is to then do the hands-on here, uh, which we're delivering in Perth, the practical skills, and then in all the locations around Australia, the supervised clinical cases. Yeah, I think that's a great concept and it's a really well laid out year. I think it's, like you said, the immersion is important. A lot of the other implant courses and stuff you see are, will be one of those elements, but not all of it kind of put together, right? Like you yeah. have, like, for example, like I enrolled in dental XP's online, like implant. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. And it was just like, it was like 300 hours of videos. I'm like, it's nice to get some learning, but there's no follow through with like afterwards, what, like I have to like enroll for the next thing. But I think if you have this like nice curriculum laid out, start to finish and someone who's like, I want to do implants can just actually sign up and just mm. follow the steps and get through it and know at the end of it that you well, I've had enough feedback and be involved. And I think the accountability is important too. I think that's one of the, the things probably with something like this, where you're in it with a, maybe a smaller cohort of people going at the same time The you'll be like, what, what happened to your case? Like, are you not going to start placing implants? Or I think that that accountability is a big driving force for a lot of us to actually, to actually like just jump in and stop like dabbing your toes in. Exactly. You know, it's with anything I find when you have the requirement to, to do something, you'll mm -hmm. find a way to do it, yeah. you know? Uh, if you don't have a requirement to uh, research and read articles and contribute to an academic discussion or an essay, you're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you might, so, but the average person. <laughs> <laughs> the same way with, with clinical casework, yeah. you know, when you have the requirement and you need to meet certain standards and it needs to be supervised. I find, um, you know, even sometimes experienced implant dentists, when they're able to have a mentor or discuss a case, they approach things in a different way. Um, and I think that's a good message, I guess I could say, for all of us, but especially those who have had some preliminary implant experience, maybe they've placed a handful or 20 or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's still, you know, a huge realm of uh, discovery, learning, and improvement that has to come from there. And that's where mentorship is important. That's I mean, at the Implant Institute, we offer mentorship uh, possibilities for people after you know those programs as well because really to uh, to go to more advanced levels for people who wish to um, mm. I think that's really that's really sort of indispensable and now a short ad break from our sponsors are you looking for a hands-on course to complement your current CPD plan Henry Schein runs over 150 CPD courses every year Visit their website at www.henryshine.com.au to review the current offering. Their complete offering ranges from endodontic, orthodontic, surgical, as well as infection control, and much more. Use the code PODCAST for a 5% discount on all Henry Shine run courses. Again, that's a 5% discount for all the newbie dentist listeners out there by using the promo code PODCAST. Head over to henryshine.com.au for more information. Yeah, I think hands down, I've I've had the pleasure of like interviewing a lot of you know high achieving dentists from around the world, and mentorship by far is like number one common commonality between everyone. You know, and that's that's a great thing that's actually available these days mm -hmm. uh, in terms of having more people uh, with expertise in the dental community and in the general dental community. Yeah, and uh, and also those who are willing to. 
be involved in education, be generous with, with their knowledge and so on. Um, I think, you know, you guys have got it great. I'm not that old. I'm a little bit older than <laughs> you, but uh, when I was trying to learn these things, uh, to try and find that was next to impossible. You know, I had to certainly do a lot more traveling and a lot more uh, self-driven uh, learning uh, than what people have the capacity to do now. And I think that's just really fantastic. Yeah, and that's that's one thing, one thing we probably didn't mention when we we're talking about how dentistry is growing so quickly in terms of the level of dentistry is that access to knowledge, like just with social media, with online CPD courses, you can you can be at home after work or even between patients or if you have a gap like patient is a no show and you can watch like a lecture from like Tarnow in the US or something and just like it's just yeah, there right absolutely. and you can just access it which is pretty which is pretty cool absolutely so, so in in putting this uh, implant institute uh, curriculum together I'm sure you probably looked at other courses and stuff available um, there's obviously a lot of competitors like guide and then obviously the university based ones what do you think the overall state of implant education is and Beyond that, in terms of implant success rates, I, I mean, I'm not—I don't know this numbers off. I mean, I'm not—I'm not one to uh, read much uh, li- like li- literature, mm. but um, I've heard from others that like implant success rates are declining a little bit because a lot of inexperienced general dentists are doing it more compared to what the initial studies were based on, like just specialists doing them. So, wh- where do you think that that's going to go forward in the next like five, ten years of more and more dentists doing implants, and is the education enough? via uh, CPD route, not formal, like, you know, university-based programs to so actually keep them to a level where it's like uh, sufficient or standard of care, I guess. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, like there's a couple of aspects to your question there. Um, I mean, the part about, you know, our success rates declining because there's more people, you know, involved uh, in implant dentistry and so on. I mean, I think, you know, in the literature, obviously there's a wide variety of, uh, things reported and so much of it pertains to the the conditions and the applications that, that involved in that study yeah um, but certainly you know as you as you open the door to more and more people doing something uh, with a less trained um, and less thoughtful or methodical manner then of course the likelihood for for failures is higher but I think um, a lot of um, a lot of it also comes down to the the range of applications that were that we're able to do in implant dentistry, and the range of complexity of cases yeah. is higher and higher. At the same time, the technology implant designs, understanding of hard and soft tissue requirements and considerations for long term success have come a long way, even in the last few years. Yeah. So, I'm not so familiar with with sort of the side where things are failing more i'm not sure maybe with mm-hmm. tourism and that sort of thing in dental tourism <laughs> yeah. but uh, i see the standards going up you know okay um, good. and it's interesting that what you ask about you know it, whether that can be done sort of in industry type education or university-based education and so on i think the path is probably different for everybody but um, a few years ago i think there was a conception that if you were at a university specialty program that's how you became knowledgeable or skilled. And if you were outside of that, uh, maybe you were uh, doing something you shouldn't be doing or you were a bit of a <laughs> cowboy and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that perception is gradually changing with the quality of education and training that's around. Um, and also, a lot of people outside of the specialty programs that are really 
focused on implant dentistry, whether it's in clinical practice or in research and development and so on. So, I mean, I think it's exciting times and there's so many paths, you know, to achieving and learning. Uh, but, you know, I think a, a program like this that has all these aspects welded together or melded together is, uh, is a good way for, is a good pathway for a lot of people. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, sorry, sorry, I was just going to make comments about the, um, in comparison with the different, you sort of asked, you sure. know, what do I think about the different types of programs that are out there and the competition that's there? I mean, recently I've been feeling there's a, uh, it's almost an oversaturation in the market in this particular discipline. Yeah. A few years ago, you couldn't find anyone to teach you anything. <laughs> and and now, you know, you look left and right and you'll, you'll trip over an implant program. Yeah. Um, so I think it gives people opportunity to upskill in different, in different ways, you know. Um, I'm a little bit cautious about programs that are really intensive or say uh, overseas you go and you do 10 sinus grafts and you come back. Yeah. You know? And I sometimes have a chat with someone like that and they say, oh, but you know, I don't need supervision because I, you know, I did 10 sinus grafts in Inner Mongolia or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but as you discuss cases or <laughs> if, you, if you do uh, mentor or supervise a pe- um, one of these colleagues there, you realize that they don't know yet what they don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if we're knowing what to do with that knowledge, like if we're putting it, if we're learning all the aspects, even on the academic side, uh, but then upskilling in certain things, I think that's good. But throwing ourselves in the deep end and thinking that now we understand the discipline, I think is a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. That's tricky. I think that's, that's certainly what those over, I mean, it's like ethical things with those two in terms of like follow-up care, you don't, you don't know. And like success rates and things like that as well. So yeah, well, it might be kind of a fun way to kind of just go in and try something. Uh, I don't know, like if that's like, like not everyone will be comfortable doing that. I think like ethically or morally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think some people that really have their head or head around this sort of thing and they're really extending their learning in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. They can go and they can get certain skills. Um, but people that are going in those paths to learn implants, um, I think maybe that's not the ideal way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, in terms of this course coming up, is this something that you're going to run annually or is it like a two-year cycle because of the, like how do you foresee it growing in the next couple of years? We definitely are running the postgraduate certificate at least every two years. Okay. Uh, but based on sort of interest generated, um, I'm pretty confident that we'll also, as well as 2020, uh, we'll run the postgraduate certificate probably in 2021 as well. Okay. Um, certainly, we will be. Uh, we plan to progress into year two of a postgraduate diploma for uh, the <coughs> the portion of um, students from the postgraduate certificate that wish to continue their studies. And I know, especially several of the more um, experienced uh, delegates they already have that in mind that they're definitely going to do the postgraduate diploma. Yeah. And in fact, they're doing the certificate because they know it's the first year of the program. Yeah. Uh, but I hope that, uh, uh, you know, in 2021, we'll be offering both programs. Okay. Cause I'm asking partially selfishly because I want to do it hopefully the following year. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, yeah, I, I want to make, make sure it's actually available. So, so that yeah, hopefully great. will be. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for, for coming on. I know we, trying to squeeze a lot of stuff into a, a briefer amount of time. 
um, and kind of develop a few thoughts and things like that. But I think uh, you provide a lot of great things for for the young guys like dentists listening to kind of consider. Uh, one last thing I'll ask you before we jump into like a quick kind of rapid fire to wrap things up is um, in terms of general advice. So if you're talking to me or another young dentist who wants to who enjoys surgery as like a thing that they like doing in dentistry. Um, they've done a bit of everything now. They've been working for a couple of years and they want to really get into the surgical realm, um, implants, wisdom teeth, uh, soft tissue stuff. What, where do you think is the best place to start? Is it, especially if they're an associate, because if their boss is not doing that stuff necessarily, it's tough mm. to kind of come back from a course and implement these things because there's not that support system in place. Yeah. Uh, how do you, what would you recommend to someone or even if going back and giving yourself that advice when you're two, three years out to like mm. get to where you want to get to a little bit faster, what would you say? Uh, on the surgical aspect of implant yeah. dentistry? I guess, um, I mean, in my path, I was a little bit fortunate in that regard because I had sort of developed some skills in the country on the surgical extraction side of things and all of that. And then I managed to work for large practices that could use that skill set and I could keep uh, developing that skill set. Mm -hmm. So by the time implants came around, it was a natural progression. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit difficult to think how without some sort of uh, getting your hands wet on the surgical side of things or being clean with raising flaps and having raised a lot of flaps, being clean with your basic interrupted suturing techniques and, yeah. you know, uh, basic tension-free flap closures and things like that, how you could jump into implants and do it well, you know? Mm. Um, I do see that happening a little bit. And when you said sometimes, do we get more failures and that? Probably if people are just jumping in thinking that you don't need to <laughs> be good at that <laughs> other stuff, yeah, uh, you would. So I think maybe the idea of uh, mentorship, uh, having someone around that has, does have that skill set really comes into play. Um, and hands-on courses where you can develop those skills. So, you know, you might want to develop certain surgical skills at a course and then go back and gradually introduce them to different aspects of your treatment. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that just keeps needing revisiting. Yeah. So I think like learn to walk before you run type thing, get the surgical principles down. Right. It's, you know, at the Alex Vibyshenko uh, residency that we're at, mm. I mean, obviously for me, I wasn't really getting too much from the zygoma placements and mm. how he was, you know, doing the osteotomies for the sinus. But for yeah. me, what I was, what he's, I was he's seeing, very, he's very good at that. I'll let, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I, what I kind of gathered from at my level of just doing surgicals and, and wisdom teeth and stuff is just how clean he was with his sur surgical mm. principles. Uh, so yeah. that's when I was trying to kind of watch him and see how he's doing, how he's closing. And so I think that's like the foundation you got to get really down right before you start yeah, for adding sure. those services and, and things I like think that. what you said is, is really good. You know, like you might be starting with simpler procedures, you know, basic flaps, uh, you know, basic mucoperiosteal flaps for a surgical removal. You know, by the, by the way, when you get deeply into implant dentistry, you'll never do a surgical removal again. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> Minimally you know, invasive, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when, if you can close those flaps and everything looks clean and beautiful and not traumatized, there's no tension, there's no edges that are slightly pulled this way or that way, yeah. then, you know, you're expecting a high standard of yourself. And those things become much more a requirement when it comes to implant dentistry, especially when you get into grafting procedures, you know, yeah. the slightest suture line opening or a bit of tension and everything fails. Mm -hmm. So just being aware that that standard is high that you set for yourself, then, then you can work towards that. That's great. Advice. But yeah, yeah, that was a good program. And you, and you, you know, you were able to observe how 
cleanly something even complicated can be done. Yeah, no, that was super impressive. And just seeing his speed and efficiency and, mm. and just uh, like, there's no wasted motion with him. He's done it so many times. The reps are there, right? So it's like done, done, done. Everything's done. That's there. right. Yeah. <laughs> Laid out pretty well. Awesome. Yeah. So I would like to uh, wrap these up with a bit of a rapid fire. So let's jump into sure. that. So what's, your, uh, what's your favorite pizza topping? Pizza topping? Well, I, it would be pepperoni, but mm. I've been vegetarian for about four months. Oh, no or, way. I just started that as well. I'm like, yeah. three, three <laughs> months in now. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. So yeah. <laughs> I've broken a couple of times. I'm not going to be, you know, fanatic about it. But <laughs> yeah, for the of course, most part, moderation. But yeah. So yeah, what great. would it be now? Gosh, uh, chili never goes. Uh, chili is always good. And uh, probably mushroom sun-dried tomatoes and avocado. Yeah, avocado. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite, like, uh, musician, or artist, or a band? Oh, this is where my age will really... Uh, so I've always enjoyed all sorts of music, but uh, probably when I was your age, I was very much into the R&B and hip hop scene. Yeah. <laughs> and I still like some of the old school hip hop, you know, like Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. Uh, Public Enemy. Okay, cool. Uh, even a bit of Run DMC, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, now I just enjoy a little bit of everything. You know, some of the old stuff I listen to, I, I cringe. <laughs> I, yeah. think the, I don't know why I like that. But uh, maybe a little bit of alternative, I would say. Yeah. And what do you, what do you listen to at work? If, especially, obviously, if you're doing sedation, so you probably have a little bit more freedom of what you listen to. That's uh, true. You know, it's great having a sedation-focused and surgery-focused practice because you can have music on and you can have good conversations amongst yourself. <laughs> um, but it's always just, you know, relaxing music. So yeah. it could be a little bit of soul or, uh, you know, I, I'm not there to be entertained. I want it to be calming and just so uh, a little bit of Nora Jones, maybe a little yeah, bit of classical, nice. a little bit yeah. of jazz. Yeah, <laughs> jazz. I do listen to a lot of jazz at yeah. work. That's great. And what's your? I guess for, for you, since you do implants, what's your favorite tooth to replace with an implant? Central incisor. <laughs> Challenging. That was uh, Dr. Fibushenko's answer as well. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean, look. Uh, if if you're talking about single teeth, obviously the most impactful and. Uh, you know, and if you can create that soft tissue harmony and uh, symmetry and peri-implant health, it's always satisfying. Yeah, good, nice and challenging. Uh, if you weren't in dentistry, what career would you be in? Oh, I told you before we started, I think I used to want to be a game show host when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it wasn't dentistry, I'd probably be somewhere in either the arts yeah. uh, or political science. I'm just saying, it's a big wide spectrum there. <laughs> And uh, what's one procedure in dentistry that kind of makes you question your career choice? Well, luckily, I, I don't do a lot of procedures that I, you know, I'm mainly focused on implant <laughs> uh, dentistry. But uh, you mentioned molar RCTs before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I wouldn't be the best at the world at them. So. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, Masak. Thank you so much for, for coming on. It was great to you know, have some time with you and uh, chat about your journey and, and everything you're doing with Fantastic. the industry. It was, it was um, great talking with you. Yeah, you I'll, probably I'll, want the listeners to know that uh, I did yeah. uh, have the Dallas out with my Dallas Mavericks jersey and hats because you said it, it was only going to be audio. So Yeah, for sure. So they've, <laughs> they've missed out. So, <laughs> so I'll, put, really nice yeah, I'll put the uh, the show, in the show notes the, uh, the links to the Implant Institute course and everything and and yeah, hopefully, hopefully you do run it again uh, in the next cycle so I can hopefully enroll. In, in, in for sure, for sure. And I mean, when, when they get that link, I mean, it's not just a post-grad certificate, but there's, you know, more advanced weekend yeah. courses and things like grafting and immediate implants. And we have an all on the next residency later in the year for more advanced practitioners. So there's a little bit of something there for everybody.